0: Carr, play action again, looking downfield, lofts it near corner. Adams went over at the five, he walks in, and the Raiders walk off with a win. Touchdown Devontae Adams to win it here in Denver. Derek Carr waited and waited and floated one to the same spot where he threw the first touchdown to Devontae today. And in overtime, Link, the Raiders beat the Broncos. 22 to 16.
1: For those of you that are unaware on Friday, degenerate Danny told us he was betting the over on three and a half made field goals in that game. There was a miss from Carlson and <laughs> a block in the first half. And he still managed to get over three and a half. And Jared wanted to make sure everybody heard every single <laughs> field goal from that game. Ed Grady is God. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Adam. Ed Grady is uh, flying back from Denver this morning. We'll actually talk to him in a few minutes later in this hour. Adam Candy is in this morning in place of Ed Graney. And Adam, the World Cup is here. Are you excited?
0: Do they play that with their actual feet? Is that the one we're talking about? Yes, the football with the foots i i got it sorry uh sure get me up to speed at some point in the next three hours
1: i will do so england is destroying iran at the moment but the raiders won a football game
2: the first bite the first bite is brought to you by nobody can the raiders save their season
1: uh I'm going to I'm gonna look at this from Josh McDaniels' point of view, who, as far as we know, is going to be back next season. The owner has said that. Uh, that doesn't mean that's always true. But the owner has said that, and it would appear as though he is coming back pretty much regardless of what happens on the field this season. So, Adam, I ask you, if you're Josh McDaniels, what would you define, as you sit here at 3 at 7, what would you define as saving the season?
0: The Raiders need to obviously win. That's the simple thing to say and the obvious answer. But what you need to see is a semblance of competence out of both sides of the ball, but especially the offense if you're Josh McDaniels. And I don't know that yesterday qualifies, but it's at least a step in the right direction as opposed to steps in, I don't even want to say the wrong direction. It's like the wrong-est direction the last three weeks. <laughs> you kept going from, well, they can't possibly lose that game. Well, there's no way they can lose that game. Well, they can't lose to a high school coach, right? And then you get to this week where it's like, well, they can't lose to Nathaniel Hackett. And they didn't. So that's a positive step for the Raiders. So for Josh McDaniels, you need to see something that is a semblance of positivity out of this offense and a bunch of field goals and nearly not getting it done yesterday is probably not that. But hey, they won, so you can't drag it too far.
1: And I think if you're grading on some sort of scale, the Denver defense does that to seemingly everybody. Like the Denver defense doesn't give up many points. I can't remember who tweeted it, but the stat was before this week, if the Broncos had just scored exactly 18 points in every game, they'd have been eight and one. Like the Denver defense doesn't give up many points to anybody. So it's not like the Raiders scoring 16 in regulation is some uh, terrible performance. That's what pretty much everybody does against Uh, that. With the
0: exception of, with the exception of Denver to the Raiders last time right. when the Raiders, yes, there was a pick six involved in that uh, 32-23 final the last time. So it's,
1: if we're looking just at the offense, and this to me is is sort of the, the fascinating part of what happens the rest of this season and what does it mean for the off season, because there's been a lot of talk the last week or so about Derek Carr potentially being done as the Raiders quarterback after this year. But I'm fascinated to see if if the Raiders finish this season out and, you know, let's say they win a, a few games here and they get to like 6-11 and 11 or something like that, where it's not just an atrocious record and they have some good feelings like they had yesterday. And if Derek Carr plays well, right? He hasn't really played that great this season, but if Derek Carr plays better, in the second half of the season. Like I am curious to see what they do because they do have that ability. It's a 3-day window after the Super Bowl where the Raiders can cut Carr and there's no guaranteed money if he's on the roster after that 3 days, then it's like another 2 years is guaranteed. But I'm curious to see sort of if Derek Carr is almost playing for his job and if we're looking at this from how does the offense look under McDaniel's what do these last few games mean for Carr and what Josh McDaniel's wants to do with his offense because if you're McDaniels and you have sort of this assurance from Mark Davis that you're not going anywhere anytime soon, you might have the ability and the security to draft a rookie quarterback and say, Hey, I got a rookie. You got to give me a couple more years to get this figured out. So I'm, that's the part that I think I'm more most curious to see is what it means for Derek Carr in the off season.
0: So let's look at what the Raiders have left then, right? They're not going to be favored the rest of the year. And so that's going to be, A situation where you say okay anything you do it's a scrappy underdog win for the Raiders from here on out that's going to increase the good feeling around Josh McDaniels not only from the ownership but in locker room as well and so they're at Seattle this coming week where they're three and a half or four point underdogs Uh, then they're home to the Chargers and quite honestly the Chargers looked pretty good uh, on Sunday night last night at least on the offensive side of the ball at the Rams, home to New England, at a Pittsburgh team that's suddenly competitive, and then they finish San Francisco, Kansas City, woof and woof. So what do you think is a realistic record, Tyler, for, for the Ra- Raiders the rest of the way here? I, I honestly think if they win three of those games it is a success
1: knowing uh, it's the Raiders and they find a way to sabotage themselves, even when it means, hey, we could get a top five pick here. They probably do win three of those, and they probably go from, hey, you would have picked third or fourth to, all right, you're picking seventh or eighth or something like that. Uh, I, I think two wins probably the rest of the way is the the realistic number, but three certainly seems plausible in that
0: uh, run of games. because. Okay, the, the, so then... So then play that out, play that out to the whole Derek Carr discussion, right? I wanted to set that up to get people's expectations in line to see that if the Raiders really can win two or three more games, they ain't getting one of the good quarterbacks. And then the question becomes, what do you define as accountability for this team? And accountability in theory in sports is always something changes. Usually, someone loses their job. And it's already been made clear that Josh McDaniels isn't going to be that guy. And you have one major change that you can make with no consequences, and that's Derek Carr. So, right or wrong, at, we're beyond the point now where you look at this team and say, is it Derek Carr's team? Do you think that he can? This season shows you he didn't. And there's only so much of a window left for Josh McDaniels. And for Devontae Adams.
1: Yeah, the conversation around Derek Carr for years has been, well, is he the problem? No. Is he the solution? Also, probably no. Like, we've seen that over and over. Last year, they did make the playoffs, right? It was a team that found themselves on a kind of ridiculous four-game winning streak at the end of the season. that got into the playoffs, but that was sort of the ceiling of that team. And so it, I, I think you're you're right there on the whole accountability thing. If this ends up as a 5 win team or a 6 win team, when they came in expecting postseason, and even if they have a couple of more feel-good into-the-season type, even if they beat Kansas City on the final week of the season, well, Kansas City might be resting people, but even if they beat the full-strength Chiefs team to end the season or something like that, and they feel good about it, you're still going to look at it and say, well, that was a failed season, and we can't just run it back. We can't just bring everybody back in the high uh, profile positions and McDaniels is safe by default. I would assume that means Dave Ziegler is also safe. The general manager, even though his offseason looks pretty horrific at this point, it does come to Derek Carr. But if we're playing the scenario out, like, like we just did and they, they're a five or six win team and they're picking seventh or eighth, and they don't really have the ability to take one of the top quarterbacks in the draft what if you're mcdaniels are you getting rid of car for the sake of getting rid of car even though you might not be able to land one of those top quarterbacks or or is there a chance where car is still the best
0: option going into next season Oh, of course, there's a chance he's the best option, but then you look at this team with lowered expectations and the fact that you are still going to be going against the Kansas City Chiefs and a healthy Chargers team in the division, and you have to assume under new ownership something major is going to change for the Denver Broncos as well, and you're going to start next season as the fourth-best team in the AFC West, period, end of story, if you bring Derek Carr back, period. Because the Denver defense is elite, and I I know Raiders fans are probably going to yell and say, well, they beat Denver twice this year. Okay. That doesn't really account for much this year, and it's a Denver roster that just spot for spot is more talented than the Raiders.
1: Are you certain the Chargers are going to be healthy next year?
0: I'm never certain (laughs) that any of the Chargers are going to be healthy for any length of time, but watching them last night, think about it this way. It took Keenan Allen being even mildly healthy to make Justin Herbert look amazing again. And that, how simple is that? Mike Williams played like half the game. Keenan Allen had to jump in for him. And yet they still looked like they could have beaten the chiefs. It, uh,
1: I I think the most dangerous spot in the NFL right now is being a chargers wide receiver. If you line up out wide as a chargers wide receiver, you are not making it out of the two games alive. It's just not going to happen. You're going to get hurt at some point. Maybe you come back, but you're going to get hurt at some point. All right. Coming up next, we're going to jump into some UNLV football because they went to Hawaii and lost all chance at going to a bowl game.
0: First and 15, they have to get to the 27 for a first down. Empty backfield, five wideouts, trips to the right, two men to the left, three-man front for Hawaii. Back to throw Brumfield. Brumfield is in heavy traffic. Gets away from one man. Is hit. Still on his feet and is sacked at the 48-yard line. You're sitting
3: in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at EdGraney and Bischoff underscore Tyler
1: featuring Adam Candy. UNLV started this season 4-1. and one. It almost seemed Impossible for UNLV to not get to a bowl game. But now they are four and seven after losing to Hawaii 31 25 over the weekend. They will not be going to a bowl game. They have one final game this year. That's at home against Nevada on Saturday. But the loss to Hawaii, a couple of stats about Hawaii or fun facts here. Hawaii now has three wins this season. Uh, One is over Duquesne, who's not Division I. One is over Nevada, and now UNLV. Hawaii defensively entered that game, allowing the most points per game in the Mountain West at 36. UNLV scored 25 in this game, and six of those were off a defensive touchdown. UNLV actually settled for five field goal attempts in this game. Daniel Gutierrez went four of five. Adam, UNLV coming into this season, if you had told anybody that was a fan or I bet any coaches, hey, you're going to be a four-win team with a game against a really bad Nevada team and a really good shot to get to five wins. Everybody would have taken that. That would have been over uh, expectations. That would have been better than expected. But given that they started four and one, given that they looked good, given that the last two games on this schedule are two atrocious football teams and they just lost to one of them. How seriously should we be talking about Marcus Arroyo's job security right now?
0: I don't think seriously uh, because of the fact that they started four and one and because of Doug Brumfield's injury in the middle of it. And I think from the perspective of just looking at it and saying job security, anytime a head coach or those around a head coach can say to an athletic director, but we played three of the biggest games of our season without our starting quarterback quarterback, and you can say we probably would have had a reasonable chance to get to six wins. Then I don't think it's all at all seriousness in any seriousness that you can talk about the head coach's job being in jeopardy. I'm going to tell you the one thing that can change that though. If this team somehow loses to Nevada this week, <laughs> that is the one thing that can change it because everyone knows it's about emotion in college football and emotion is what is going to be. Let's just say low if they somehow lose to this Wolfpack team.
1: Okay, before we get to that Nevada game, uh, really quick, the idea of, hey, it, not that a coach necessarily has to go in an argue his case, maybe he does, but not that you actually have to go in an argue case, but in the idea that, hey, you know, I know we ended this season poorly and it's kind of a failed season after starting 4-1, but we didn't have Doug Brumfield for a big chunk in the middle of the season. If you were Eric Harper, if you were any athletic director making that decision-making and you were aware that I, I cannot remember the exact year, but Mark Anderson would always tweet it out. UNLV hasn't had the same starting quarterback start every single game of a season since I think it's 1998 or something ridiculous like that. Is there any chance you would say, I don't care that your quarterback missed three games? Like you still should have done this. And honestly, we should be planning every year for your quarterback to miss three games because that's just the reality of this program and a lot of programs across the country.
0: And you add the last piece there of, and a lot of programs across the country. And so if you want to take that perspective, sure, let's play it out. So if you want to play that perspective, then you're going to look at the UNLV defense and you're going to say, how is it that, again, we're talking about the defense and the fact that this defense gave up 376 yards per game, only Hawaii, Nevada, and Utah State were worse than UNLV, and you could play the same game with points per game. So that's the perspective you would take on this. But... I don't think Marcus Royo should be fired after this season. I think UNLV showed you enough this year that Marcus Royo's job should be safe. And I don't think it's fair to look at, well, here's what's happened with this program in past seasons. You're not firing Mike Sanford. You're not firing Tony Sanchez. You're talking about Marcus Arroyo. And I don't care what happened six quarterbacks ago. It's just an unfortunate reality of this UNLV program that these are the sorts of things that have snake bitten them over the course of, I don't know, decades. All right. So
1: um, how bad could it be if they actually did lose this Nevada game? Like you said, that's the one thing that would change that conversation for you. If they lose to one of the worst Nevada teams that that program has put on the field at home in a year where UNLV is not terrible, uh 4 and 1 to 4 and 8 and losing to both Hawaii and Nevada to finish the year, it changes that conversation would it change it all the way in the other direction
0: for you. So let's look at what's happened with this Nevada team. I just want to read off a few stats to everybody. Here's the last 5 games for Nevada. They lost 41-14 to Fresno. They lost 41-3 to Boise hey, they were plucky against San Jose State and lost 35-28. They lost 23-7 to San Diego State. They lost 35-15 to that Hawaii team that should not have beaten UNLV. So what you look at is it's not just losing the rivalry. It's losing to a second consecutive worst team to end the year on a somewhat unbelievable seven-game losing heater. So then you look at it and say, okay, wait a second. What was real, right? What was real? Was, was, was it real when this team reeled off a 4-1 and one, or was it real when they lost seven in a row to end the year? Now, if you beat the Wolfpack, then you get to look at it and say, okay, they had one fluky game against Hawaii where it was raining on and off, blah, blah. If they win that game, then they go to a bowl. Then you look at the rest of that stretch and say they played teams for five consecutive weeks before that who were clearly superior to them, and they played a bunch of them without their starting quarterback, who at times this year looked like the best quarterback outside of Jake Hayner in the Mountain West. If you look at all of that, then you're not getting ready to fire Marcus Royo. You're looking at it in the holistic sense of a season and saying, "Great, we won five games, but if you lose to this Nevada team, that's a rivalry." that's maybe the worst team on your schedule, then I think you have to ask, what's progress? Did they regress or did they build? Because at that point, you have to ask, how bad did they finish the year? So the curious part for this
1: week that uh, we don't really get any sort of numbers on, there's no actual statistical breakdown of this, but I'm curious to see the focus part of this, because Marcus Arroyo, after the loss to Hawaii, Kind of alluded to focus. Uh, He had one quote. It was tough on the guys all week. I warned them that these types of games get set up this way. That's got to fall on my shoulders. That's got to fall on the ears that hear it and look at what we can do different. He also talked about uh, the players not playing the same way from week to week and what they did against Hawaii is not who they are. Basically, a lot of allusions to, hey, we kind of weren't focused and we didn't really perform in this game like we were focused. And I know Paloma Viacano, Fox Five, who was in Hawaii, tweeted out that there were a lot of players that were crying in the locker room or outside of the locker room afterwards. The idea of focus, the idea of what are you playing for, the idea of how much do you care—I'm, I'm curious that angle of it for this uh, week because UNLV again—they were four and one; they were near a shoe in for a bowl game, and they lost it all against Hawaii. Like that dream, that realization is over after the loss to Hawaii. Normally you'd be like, "Ah, you know, if he's playing Nevada. This is the biggest game of the season every single year on the schedule. This is the at least the one that actually means something for a program that usually wins three games." But I wonder what that means when you're coming off what's one of the most devastating losses that probably the majority of those players have ever had in their lives. Does Arroyo actually get them ready to play against Nevada? Because they maybe they still win if they're not that focused, but that's I think how they lose this game.
0: But the single hardest thing about evaluating Marcus Arroyo especially when he talks <laughs> is that there is something glitched in the word generator <laughs> with Marcus Arroyo right we've done this we have week after week and now year after year with Marcus Arroyo where we try to dissect these quotes and I don't feel like what comes out of his mouth always matches up to what we think he probably meant so when we talk about focus it, we shouldn't be because you knew that a bowl game was on the line in this game so I don't care if you're going to Hawaii I don't care if you're going to the Silver Bowl like wherever you're going you're you're going there to try to get to a bowl game so if you're talking about focus like when you say oh well this kind of opponent right you say this kind of opponent if you're playing Fresno State next week you don't say it when you're going and trying to win the last two games to get to the first bowl for this program and forever so that's why it feels weird to me I I don't feel like it would have been that difficult for this team to have focus, but then again, you know, it's the same guy who's who's talked about moral victories and losing to one double A teams.
1: All right. Before we get to Ed Granny, I did just want to say Hawaii, I think, took the best timeout I've ever seen that wasn't like an end of game, save the clock. In the second half, out of nowhere, like a monsoon hit, just absolutely pouring. And Hawaii had a fourth down. They were lined up to kick a field goal. Hawaii comes out, comes down and calls a timeout. They go to commercial on the TV broadcast. They come back from commercial, and it's not raining anymore. Like, they went from, we're about to kick a field goal in a monsoon, to, oh, the weather's perfect. It's the best timeout I've ever seen. I don't know how they controlled the weather, but it was perfect.
0: No, you don't need to control the weather. If you've ever been to Hawaii, you've heard them say it a million times, if you don't like the weather in Hawaii, wait five minutes. (laughs) Well, guess what? They waited five minutes. All right, coming up next, Ed Grady joins the show. cool (laughs) yep even easier than that and with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts is it even a decision that's banking reimagined what's in your wallet terms apply see capital one.com
1: bank for details capital one and a member fdic nate you said earlier this week that you know every
0: every day you're always coaching for your job is that still on your mind about your job moving forward And, and also have you talked to george or greg about your future For me,
1: everything's about this team and the staff. I've told you guys that before. I mean, I just want to do everything I can to help this team win. Um, You know, we've been so close. We've had so many opportunities. We've had a lot of things happen uh, this year that are unfortunate, but we have to continually find ways to win. That's my sole uh, purpose. That's all I'm looking to do. Um, Whatever happens, those things I can't control.
3: We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy.
1: Joining us now live from one of three places, either a Marriott a Jimmy John's or an airport is Ed Grady. Which one are you at, Ed?
3: I'm in an Uber headed to the airport. Oh,
1: in between two of those three places. In between between those places. Phenomenal. All right. Very important question. Um, At any point during the fourth quarter, did you start writing your column about the Raiders losing to the Broncos?
3: No, because it's a day game. Not the the deadline we experienced, (laughs) Tyler. I can't. By the way, I can't believe uh, I've got to be honest. With you, I, I put an over/under uh, or, or a bet here um, with me myself that the first question would be about Marcus Arroyo, but it was not.
1: No, 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 no! Come on, we we got Marcus Arroyo covered over here. I, I, I will ask you what we started the show with. Um, if we look at this from Josh McDaniels' perspective and the idea that he's safe next year, no matter what happens on the field. What would you define as sort of saving the season from McDaniel's point of view? Did we lose a
3: celebration? Okay. Hold on. Hold on. hold
1: on. Start over. Start over. We lost you for like five seconds, but start over with your answer.
3: Are you there? Yes.
1: I got you. We hear you just fine now.
3: Okay. Um, in the locker room afterwards, he's pretty crazy. He said it's been a long year. So I, I still think that guy wants to win as many games as possible. Um, You and I put our number on the board. So what would he consider a success? I mean, he's probably thinking that yesterday Paul Goodears had a good tweet uh, that he reminded him of the Cleveland game when they went on the run. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think he wants to win as many games as possible, and he'd consider that a success if they got to, you know, well, I can't even say seven or eight because he wouldn't have made the playoffs. So to me, and I think you and I agree that that's a failure.
0: All right, Ed. So then from the perspective of Ed Graney, as you look at this franchise and where it's going to be going this offseason, because we're at the point where we're talking about the offseason, then what should happen the rest of the way here? Because Tyler and I looked at it, and you can't count more than two to three wins.
3: Yeah, they shouldn't do that because then they won't get as high a draft pick.
0: Um,
3: <laughs> they should... They should worry about the highest draft pick possible because the quarterbacks are going to be there. Um, two or three. I hope it's three. Cause I said six. <laughs> uh, um, Tyler hopes it's two. Cause he said five. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I the the schedule. go
2: oh, so the
3: way everyone said it would, there weren't as many wins. Now you get into the tough part of the schedule. So I think if they won three more, I guess I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I don't think it's a Cleveland situation where, um, they're going to roll off four or five straight, but I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they won three.
1: Uh, Ed, and you st-
3: kind of hurt their gap, their draft pick.
1: Ed, you said that uh, McDaniel's was crazy in the locker room afterwards. If you if you had to put a word on like how the locker room felt talking to players and coaches afterwards, what would it be?
3: Exuberant. <laughs> Exuberant. They were very happy, running around, high fiving, hugging each other. Uh, very, uh, very excited for the victory in Denver.
0: Okay. So, and I want to, can can I shock you? I'll ask the Marcus Arroyo question. Uh, yeah. what, what happened in Hawaii?
3: I wasn't able to watch, but I know that, you know, and Tyler and I both picked them to win. Uh, but we both said, and this isn't, this isn't any, I mean, they should have won the game. That's a horrible, horrible loss. But of the last two, I don't know what it is, but weird things happened at that place. And it's no excuse. They should have won that game by 15, 20 points. But I guess, and I, I wasn't able to watch the stream. I literally saw the score at 2 a.m. Um, and just kind of said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that. But I, I'm telling you, I've seen that so many times when you go to Hawaii and you make that trip and weird things happen. But they still should have won the game. And now, I don't know, man. I don't know. He's four wins was it? Tyler six or seven straight losses? Six straight losses?
1: Uh, if they lose to Nevada, it'd be seven in a row to lose this, uh, to end the season. Yeah, so six at the moment. That,
3: that puts them in trouble, I think. So I, that's—I mean, it might already be in trouble. That was six straight losses and two Hawaii teams. Not very. I mean, that's that's not good at all. I don't think.
1: So, do you think it's as simple as beat Nevada? hey, five-win season, beat your biggest rival. That was better than expected. You keep your job, lose to Nevada. You lost seven straight in the year, including two terrible teams. You lose your job. Like, is it as simple as this game decides Arroyo's job security?
3: I'm not sure it's that simple, but I don't know if I'd want to see the AD, if I'm him, if I lose to Nevada, maybe I get out of there as quickly as possible. Um, Because losing seven straight after starting four and one, um, if this was a different year in Hawaii and Nevada was really good and Nevada was you know, Jane Norvell had never left, and they kept being good, and um, that's a, that's one thing because Nevada's been good lately, except for this year they're horrible. Um, I don't know four seven straight and four wins, five wins. You said it the other day, like if we said in the beginning of the year, hey, five wins, you're like, okay, there's progress. You won five games; they hadn't won that many in a long time. That's one thing, but when you start four and one, I think expectations deservedly so go much higher, and you lose seven straight to end it. Like I said, that's.
0: To me, that's not very good. No, it's not, obviously. And I guess the question becomes, okay, if you're going to play this out and say they get rid of Marcus Arroyo, then where does this program go, right? I think it's obvious to look and say, all right, yeah, this this coach isn't getting the job done. And you're back to the drawing board with a UNLV program that has tried literally every bingo spot on the card for which type of coach to have.
3: Yeah, and that's it's kind of a Raider situation. Although you know, you couldn't have predicted Gruden, but like Carr said yesterday, different players, different coaches over two to three years. You know, you can't keep doing that. Um, you're right, Adam. It would go back to when now. He would, you know, they whoever came in would, you know, have a quarterback. Even though, and you guys probably watch the game. He ha- he hasn't been the same since the injury. Um, I, I know people who watch the game, and he just that kid hasn't been the same since the concussion and and, he, and when he got hurt, comparative to what he was when they were four and one. Um, but, you know, you'd have a quarterback. I think they've probably recruited defensively better than they have, so there might be some pieces to work with if whoever came in, but you keep changing coaches every two to three years, and I, Adam, I agree with you. I don't know how you get ahead. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't know how you move ahead, although, you know, you do know some coaches who can come in and be good right away, but it's just it's not the formula you want of changing every two to three years.
2: Ed, they asked uh... – they asked Nathaniel Hackett if he's getting fired after losing to the Raiders. Does that make the Raiders the rock bottom of the NFL? Like you lose to him, and you're like, oh man, I'm gonna lose my job.
3: Yeah, I think he's. Uh, I think that's decided. I just don't know if they're gonna wait till the end of the year. Or they're gonna do it mid season. Um, I was actually listening to uh, a show here in the, in this in the uh, car going in and. He, that was all they were talking about was his job status and when do you actually do it? Do you wait to the end of the year? Do you do it in midseason? season um, That's kind of the uh, the uh, ESPN um, uh, talk this morning
0: uh,
3: out here in Denver. So um, I think that's probably decided. Uh, what I mean, I, what what were they doing throwing on the third down?
1: Got to win the game, man. Yeah. It's Russell Wilson. Oh, no. You got you to gotta trust. Let's ride <laughs> Russell Wilson. He needed Let
3: it ride. Yeah, yeah. He needed sure. the
1: uh, bench to tell him run or pass on that play. He was waiting for the bench to yell at him run or pass. Um, let he let let it ride, on the sideline. Yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a question for you. Who should we blame for Daniel Carlson's field goal streak being snapped?
3: His long hair.
1: Oh, wow. Because, Why is that?
3: Because Adam Hill wrote a nice story for the paper, I believe, Saying his wife had given up on the fact that his hair was long, and he had to cut it once he missed. So I assume he said, "You know what? It's time to cut the locks. I want to make her happy. You know, happy wife, happy life." (laughs) Uh, And uh, he he cut the hair. He cut (laughs) there.
1: I do love that idea that he missed so that he could cut his hair, and that was the the deal there. The
3: great, the greatest story was you know because he's you know he's uh he's new to he's new to the team obviously, so he's still getting to know everyone after the. After the uh, one kick by Carlson, maybe the 56-yarder, he went up and kind of hit A.J. Cole on the shoulder and said, good kick, buddy.
1: (laughs) They all look the same with helmets on. All right, Ed, (laughs) before we let you go, uh, I wanted to let you know, and everybody else, uh, Gabe, our contestant in our Friday Football Frenzy uh, Dollar Loan Center contest, he picked the Raiders, the Bills, and the Cowboys.
3: Oh. $1,100 Eleven hundred for Gabe. Gabe, so yeah. Gabe
1: won eleven hundred bucks. Our first so winner of the season. I'm so happy for Gabe.
3: Congratulations, Dave. That's awesome. That's it awesome. Eleven hundred bucks. Good for him. So a lot we'll, of turkey on Thursday. Good we'll,
1: for him. We'll have a hundred dollars to give away later this week. Now that that resets, but Gabe did win. Uh, and Ed, you uh, needed to know that because we have had eleven weeks of failure. Eleven so weeks. Yeah, so now
3: I'm. 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 Finding you tomorrow at a different place in the studio, right?
1: Yes, we're at uh, Parkway Tavern out at Green Valley Ranch uh by Green Valley Ranch in the district for the World Cup. Get excited! I'm
3: very excited. I'm yes, fired up.
1: You sound yeah. excited, so that's where we'll be. It'll, it'll, <laughs>
3: that's where we'll be. I'll I'll try to find you.
1: All right, see you, Ed. Thank you. All right, I'll
3: see you. See you
1: guys. So there's Ed Graney live from an Uber between a Marriott and the airport. Two of the three places he exists on the road.
2: We didn't. Um, oh, go ahead, Adam.
0: No, I just wanted to say he said he hopefully will find you out at uh, at the World Cup party in the morning. Are you expected expecting to be swarmed by a sea of World Cup fans?
1: Uh, hopefully. It's, it's, hopefully you're there, Adam. I'm expecting you to be leading the chant. You're going to have some face paint tomorrow, right?
0: I think the most impressive part is the proximity I have to that place and the fact that I will be sleeping. <laughs> I was
2: just going to mention the fact that we had we have Adam and we have Ed and they pull, their teams play on Thursday. Why aren't we trying to stir up some sort of a friendly wager?
1: Oh, the Cowboys do play the Giants on Thursday.
0: Yeah. Oh, the, the reason we're not doing that is because the Giants are going to lose. Yeah, Adam's, <laughs> Adam's defeated. All
1: right, coming up next, we'll get into the World Cup because the United States plays today. Golf takes. Hands to Jamal. Fighting
0: off tacklers. Diving. Did he get in? Yes, sir, he did. Touchdown, Detroit Lions! And a big spike with a left hand from Jamal Williams, his second rushing touchdown of the day, and the Lions extend their lead. Drop up under center, he turns, gives, Jamal Williams bounces it outside right, into the end zone, touchdown Detroit Lions. Number three on the day for Jamal.
3: It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, featuring Adam
1: Candy. Tomorrow, Ed and I will be out at Parkway Tavern in the district near Green Valley Ranch. Mexico takes on Poland at 8 a.m. We'll be doing our show live from Parkway Tavern. Uh, There'll be $4 Miller and Coors Light drafts, $5 Modelo drafts, and some $20 Corona buckets. Coming out, watch the World Cup with us. I will also be out there on Friday Uh, at 11 a.m. for the United States and England. Uh, So if you're looking for a place to watch the U.S. and England on Black Friday, Parkway Tavern at the district near Green Valley Ranch. All of that is sponsored by Finley Toyota in the Valley Auto Mall. Come out and watch the World Cup with us. Um, The United States plays Wales today at 11 a.m. Adam, I know you absolutely love soccer genuinely though are you gonna watch the united states play wales
0: okay the truth of the matter is i like soccer i just don't like soccer like you like soccer and i probably will watch the united states but here's my question wales they're big <laughs> listen listen how are you gonna beat wales Whale, it's it's and not. and and I'm assuming if it's a home game for Wales, you're playing in the ocean. No, no, it's
1: on it's on gra- uh, grass, oh so they can't breathe. Like they're going to struggle there. It's going to be. Do a, you like how it
0: took until a second version of that for Jared yeah, to I, get I, really I, annoyed I did not by not it? Get there. I had to go twice down that road yeah. for Jared to be like, "Oh God, it's the worst." Well, dad I, okay,
2: joke ever. I'm, I'm Welsh.
0: They're going to struggle. Here, here's the real thing: is you just
1: you got to call Wales like the English JV team. Because that's what they really are, right? Come on, it's the United Kingdom, and they get to break up into like four different countries yeah. for stuff like this. They're just the JV team. Let me ask England. you
2: this: Is that that would be like us sending Colorado?
1: No, it's more Colorado like Colorado is the US JV. No, no, it's more like uh, like Puerto Rico or something like that, the US Virgin Islands or something.
2: Well, no, Wales is a Wales is a fairly massive
1: section of the United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, but Colorado's like an actual part of the United States. So is Wales. Yeah, it's part of the United Kingdom. But for whatever reason, they're like, yeah, we're going to split up into different uh, countries here. Um, I'm going to give you a quick breakdown here for the United States and Wales. First off on the U.S., if they win today, they are in terrific position to get out of the group. Because most likely, England, who blasted Iran 6-2 to earlier... Most likely, England's going to win the group, and it's the United States or Wales fighting for second. So beating Wales, obviously, head-to-head gives you a great start. But more importantly, getting out of your group, five points is almost always good enough. Four points puts you in a decent spot to get out. So if they win today and they get three, that means they'll be in a decent spot by just getting one point in their last two and in a really good spot if they can get five or six. And they play Iran in the final game of the group stage, which should be a win for the United States. So if they win today, they're in terrific spot to get out. If they lose, they're in a lot of trouble. A draw would be interesting because then it come down to which one pretty much beats Iran by the most or loses to England by the least. Uh, The big questions for the United States... Who starts at center forward, Josh Sargent or Jesus Ferreira? It has been for about three years. The United States has had good players at pretty much every position except the striker spot, and they haven't really answered that question in three years. Um, Tim Reams supposed to start at center back next to Walker Zimmerman. That's another potential problem for the U.S. Miles Robinson would have been the starting center back, and he's really good, but he tore his Achilles in the summer, and they've been trying to find that other starting center back for a few months now, and nobody's actually taken that job, but it'll probably be Tim Ream today. The fun part? Uh, Gareth Bale's probably the most popular player playing in this game. I don't know if he's any good. Uh, he's Wales best player, but he's he's barely played this year. Like, he, rarely has he played this year. He did score the latest goal in MLS Cup history to help LAFC beat Philadelphia, but he, did, he wasn't like a 90-minute player for LAFC in Major League Soccer. So I don't know if Gareth Bale's any good. I don't know if it's just Gareth Bale for like 20 minutes is good, and then he's useless. But I think we should beat Wales. I think we should beat the uh, English JV team and be in a really good spot to get out of the World Cup. I'm excited, Adam. You should be. Everybody should be excited.
0: I'm just glad we answered the big question of who starts at center. It back is important.
1: Starter. It is important. Very important. I, I do want to mention this, though. Um, the World Cup started yesterday. Ecuador beat Qatar two nothing in the opener. Uh, Qatar, by the way, first host nation to lose their first game but my absolute favorite part of that Ecuador scores early in the game but the goal gets ruled offside and it was kind of an awkward offside because the Qatar goalie came off his line and he was way up the field in the box trying to make a play on the ball and because of that there were actually two Qatar defenders behind the goalie and if you know what the offside rule is as a an offensive player as a forward as an attacker You have to be behind the last two opponents. Normally, it's a goalie and like some other opponent, but even if the goalie's way out of position, it still is two. And one of the guys for Qatar that played the ball wasn't behind the, or was behind one of those two defenders, and it got ruled for offside. My favorite part of that is that nobody watching, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people watching the World Cup and complaining on Twitter, were furious that the match was fixed because of this rule that it couldn't have been offside. And it's the most World Cup thing I've ever seen for people who have not watched soccer for four years to not understand a rule and complain about it without understanding that rule in the first game they've watched in four years.
0: And speaking as someone who's been trying to enforce and explain that offside rule for literally 30 <laughs> years of my life, you finally hit the spot where I can relate to you and say, even people who play the game don't get it. Oh,
1: it's a great rule. The World Cup's phenomenal. Hey, the Netherlands and Senegal are starting now. Keep listening to us, though, and watch it without the sound. It'll be fun.